Bokatov, we're continuing Parashat Bo. Morning, morning. So we're on chapter Yudbet, 12th chapter. We just completed Moshe's fantastic speech to Paro. And now we're about to enter the last plague, right? But before we begin the last plague, something has to happen. Because immediately upon the last plague, the Mitzrim are going to basically beg us to leave, there is going to be some ritual that we have to do before we leave. So the text is saying, where are we going to stick the ritual, meaning the Korban Pesach? Where are we, when are we going to talk about it? Because when we speak about the, the death of the firstborn, immediately B'nai Shal are going to leave. So it's not a good time to introduce the Korban Pesach then. So, so it's introducing us to Korban Pesach now, before the death of the firstborn even begins. Okay? And that's where we, that's, so this is kind of like an interlude. This is a, a break in the text to tell us about the mitzvah. This is also the first mitzvah that Bnei Israel is getting as a people, as a nation. The other mitzvot we have, the only other mitzvot we have are Peru Urvu, which is given to Adam Rishon, it's for humanity. Then there is uh, not, ki- I mean, that you should kill. Wait, we're going to see. That's, it. that's, what, we're, that's, what, we're, that's what we're studying. We're studying the Rosh Chodesh plus the Korban Pesach uh, plus the Matzah plus the, the plus I, Pesach. Like okay. All of those things are related. Uh-huh. Okay. So and then what other mitzvah did we have after Adam Rishon's Peru Urvu, which is barely a mitzvah, it was more like a description of what of a man would do. Then we had the mitzvot to Noah, which included Shofeh Dam Adam ba Adam Damoi Shafeh. If a person kills another person, he will be killed by man, and that a person is allowed to eat. Uh, meat, but that wasn't a mitzvah, that's just giving permission. And then we add the, the Brit Milah, which was to Adam, to Abraham. But that's also not a national thing, that's more of a, that, that's, that became basically, once Borei Olam gave that mitzvah to Abraham, it became part of our national identity after the fact. But it started off as just being given to Abraham to determine who was part of his clan. Okay? So the first time B'nai Israel is described as Adat Israel is going to be in our Psukim. Moshe. So Hashem says to Moshe, Ve'el Aharon Misraim Lemor. He says to Moshe and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, saying, Now, why is the Pasuk telling us specifically that the mitzvah was given in the land of Egypt? There are definitely Midrashim, but I think the idea is um, there is a. It's very important to always realize where the mitzvot are being given. Okay? The mitzvot are given either in Egypt or in the desert. And for B'nai Israel, what that tells you is that their nationhood, meaning the mitzvot that they have, which make them a nation because it it unites all of B'nai Israel, is not a nationhood that is tied to a land, but it is tied to the law. And what's the significance of not getting the mitzvot in the homeland? in Israel. The most important thing about that and the significance behind that is that we are not a nation by fact of where we live. Most nations form because people just lived in the same place and then they get together. But our nationhood is, is, more, is deeper than that. It's dependent and is based on where? On the kinds of mitzvot that we have. And that's one of the reasons our mitzvot are given either in Egypt, which is where they start being given, which is where we are forming or where we are learning not to be like the Egyptians, 
or in the desert where that's where our nationhood is being created. It's a very deep idea, you could think about it, uh, that, that Bnei Israel as a nation is formed outside their homeland. And again, the, the idea to stress there is that it is because the, it's to stress that Bnei Israel they're not becoming a people by means of their homeland. Okay. So that is, Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron, land of Egypt, saying, HaChodesh HaZelachem, Rosh Chodashim, Rishon Hulachem LeChodesh HaShana. This month for you is the first of the months. It is the first for you of the months of the year. So as you said, Rosh Chodesh is the first mitzvah. Daberu el kul adat Yisrael lemor be'asor lachodesh hazeh b'yichu lahem ish se levet avot se labayit. Speak to the whole nation of Israel saying, in the tenth of this month, each person should take a sheep for the household, a sheep for the family. Okay, there are three things I want to discuss regarding the mitzvah. This is the mitzvah of the Korban Pesach. And the first thing I want to discuss is the fact that the calendar is, with one pasuk, completely restructured for Bnei Israel. What calendar were Am Israel following in Egypt? Probably the calendar of the Egyptians. And it was definitely a solar calendar. But then... With one pasuk, it says, this month is the first month for you, for Bnei Israel. And all of a sudden, the month of their exodus from Egypt becomes the first month for Bnei Israel. And what's the significance of that? That's a, a very deep idea. Because what are the other calendars that people follow? Well, the solar calendar is typically an agricultural calendar. It is a calendar that is dependent, that, that, uh, that would start the year at a specific time in the agricultural cycle and the year would end with that same specific time in the agricultural cycle so it would follow an agricultural pattern which means that time in this is a very very deep thing but time in the pagan mentality and the non-jewish mentality is tied and is embedded into nature it is one and the same with nature which means and one of the the corollaries of that one of the 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 implications of that is that time is cyclical because nature, because nature is cyclical. Everything in nature is cyclical. You have the cyclicality of the seasons, of the rotation of the and the orbits of the of the planets. Everything in nature is cyclical. So whenever you tie, whenever you tie time to a purely cyclical thing, then time for you also becomes purely cyclical. But what happens when you tie your time to a national event, to the creation of a nation? So you're taking time and you're, you're separating it from the cyclicality of nature and now time becomes, has purpose for the sake of that nation that we're discussing. So now time, instead of being purely cyclical, time is more, maybe more linear and it's aiming towards a specific goal. So in our case, time time is aimed towards growth and towards, let's say, the times of the Mashiach, right? In the, in the pagan mindset in which time is purely just saying, it's repetitive. So is there anything that you ever look forward to? Is there any potential for growth? No. But, but for Bnei Israel, time really begins when we formed as a nation, which means that time is going to continue to track the development of that nation. And, and, and that's a very important thing to understand about how Bnei Israel looks at time. It's something that Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out, Allah Shalom, he points out, very, points out very often in his writings, is that what the Jews introduce to the world about time 
is that there is hope, is that there is an end goal for all of this time. It's not going to be endlessly cyclical. It'll look like that because at the end of the day, the nature has a pattern, but the history of the world does not follow the natural pattern of cyclicality. It actually ends at some point. Or there's an end goal that, that history or, or we are trying to reach as a nation. Okay? So that's the, the, the depth, the philosophical depth behind the idea of the Rosh Chodesh uh, be, starting on Nisan. And then there are two more things. Speak to the nation of Israel saying, this is the command of Moshe and Aaron to speak to Bnei Israel. Until now, Moshe and Aaron have been speaking to Paral. So now their attention is turned to the nation of Israel. And this tells us that what, what we have to understand is that the, from the very beginning, one of our questions was, is Am Israel even a nation? Paro called them a nation, but Am Israel had to realize that they were a nation on their own. And it was through the Makot, through the, uh, the division in the Makot, where they were separated and, and, and considered separate by God, that maybe Bnei Israel developed a realization that they were a nation. So Moshe and Aaron are only able to approach Bnei Israel as a nation because they've now learned that they are a nation after these nine makot that we've seen, okay? And then finally, it says you should take a sheep for each household, a sheep for a family. What's the idea there? The significance is that to begin the nation, to found the nation, obviously this, this uh, Koran Pesach is going to be the founding of the people, right? So to start the process of founding the people, it is going to have to be a family ritual. You have the Korban Pesach with your family. And the, the, the significance of that is that a nation is only as strong as the, family's, family unit. the family unit that is within it. If the family unit units that make up the nation are intact and are strong, then the nation has hope, right? So that's why one of the things you see is that tyrants always try to destroy the family. I mean, we see it today with the, with the, the, the modern left. And I mean... There's the clearly no family value in that whole ideology that they have going on. You saw it in Marxist ideologies and communist ideologies. You know, even in the in the in the in the Yishuv, they had uh, when they were founding Israel, when they were founding the state of Israel, they started. They one of the there were a lot of Marxists and communists and socialists. So one of the one of the things that they had were the Yishuvim, and the Yishuvim were almost like a miniature communist, like. Uh, 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 utopias, right? Golachod, they were utopias. They weren't the easiest place to live. One of the things that they did in the Yishuv was to take the kids. The kids were raised by the Yishuv, not by the family. Because you don't want in a, in a, uh, a tyrannical society, you don't want the people to have alliances to their family. You want them to have alliances to the state. So the kids are raised by the state. Well, by the way, this is one of the things I know you're, you're going to think I'm crazy, but, but there's been a trend in the past 20 years to start schooling kids earlier and earlier and from a younger and younger age. It used to be they started in kindergarten and there was pre-K and then there was nursery and this and that. And, and one of the things that the left is always pushing is for free childcare. The idea is that the left likes to see children to not be in the house for as young as they. So you'll see, and it looks innocuous because oh look, they just want they just want the parents to be able to you know they want free childcare so that the the parents are able to go to work. 
I mean, it's, it's probably more sinister than that because if you, if you recognize the path that this ideology will take, it is probably more in order to, to break down, to have control over the kids in the household from an earlier age so that the parents aren't the ones who are educating them. What the left hates to see more than anything, and I'm not even talking about American left, I'm talking about the, the tyrannical left that we've seen in communist societies and things like that, more than anything what they hate to see is the education of children by the parents. So one of the fights, one of the big fights that they have is homeschooling. They hate homeschooling. It's the worst. Charter schooling, they hate because then it's not the government who's educating the kids. It's uh, private schools, they're not a fan of. So um, that, that, that's why. I mean, the motivations, once you understand the, the, the philosophy behind the ideology, then you can uncover the motivations behind things. It will never be explicit. The motivations will never be explicit. They'll never tell you, oh, well, we're doing this because we want to... to take the kids away from the parents and educate them ourselves so that they do not rebel against our tyrannical rule, you know, in the extreme sense. But in terms of the ideology, that's where the ideology takes you. You know, it is only Yahadut and, the, and our ideology which, stre- which stresses that it is the parents who must educate the children. That's the whole Shema, the Shema Israel. We're not, the whole point of learning Torah is to teach the kids. So, um, you know, we're getting into a rabbit hole, but this is the, the huge, huge difference between the Am Israel mentality and the and the pagan mentality, the pagan mentality that leads towards tyrannical rule will also lead towards the tyrant attempting to destroy the family so that he can consolidate his power more. And anybody who has this tendency, these tyrannical tendencies will do that. It's almost like a, a guarantee. You know, we saw it in, you see it in China, you see it in any communist society, and then you'll see it as the United States becomes more and more left-wing, you'll see it more and more. They're, they're going to... One more thing to, to, to point out is one of the best things that ever happened to the left. One of the best things that ever happened to those who are seeking tyranny was the cell phone. That the kids get a cell phone at the age of six, seven, or whatever, whatever the age they're getting it now. Because now you can educate a person's child without actually taking them out of the household. And that's what they'll do. Like if you look at, like, if you look at. And, and, and they won't be able to resist the temptation to stick their own ideology onto everything your children see. So, for example, YouTube, who's a, a very, very sinister, I, I think, one of the most left-wing companies, they, are, they filter a lot of the good material off YouTube, what we consider good as Jews, as religious Jews. They filter a lot of it off. So, for example, there's you know, Prager University. So they, they do a lot of pro-Israel videos, they do a lot of videos just about common sense. So they, they get filtered off. And they get filtered off so that anybody who has like a filter in their house won't be able to see any Prager University videos. Meaning that the, those who are seeking power, whenever they have the ability to educate the kids themselves, they won't be able to resist. So YouTube is given this platform in which every single kid is addicted to it. You can be pretty sure that the tyrants are going to take control of that and they're going to start making sure that your kids see what they want to see as opposed to what maybe you want to see. Even if you guided them to watch something like a PragerU or something that's more educational and does not, is not an affront to your own values, slowly, slowly they won't let it happen anymore because it's, it's just the desire for power is too strong. Okay, so that's where, uh, that's a long political discussion. We can go back to the Pesukim now. Pesuk 4. And if there won't be in a house enough people to have one sheep, then he and his, his, uh, and his neighbor that's close to him will, will take, will, will join together so that they can cover 
that sheep with the amount of people that they have. Okay, it wasn't a literal translation of the pasuk. Right, exactly, and you expand. Exactly, the idea is to make this. It, to build from an, from a family unit to a national event, I think even in times of the Beit Hamikdash, when we were doing the Korban Pesach, it was it was a huge thing where people would all get onto their rooftops and do the Hallel together, and the the, the national element could could not be forgotten. Um, it should be a pure, unblemished sheep. It, actually, it should be a male. It should be within its first year, and it should be either a sheep or a goat. So that from here we see that the word keb, the word se, could either mean a sheep or a goat. I didn't. It's a. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing because it's very hard to def- define all of the different animals in the Torah. But the word se seems to be able to refer also to a goat. So it's either a sheep or a goat. And you will take it as a safeguard from the tenth day until the fourteenth day, and then you will slaughter it in the afternoon of the fourteenth day. Um, the interesting thing is that there is a difference between how Korban Pesach was kept this day when they were leaving Egypt and in future generations. In future generations, you didn't have to pick the Korban from the 10th day. This was only for B'nai Israel to do in Mitzrayim. Maybe in order to show the Egyptians, have them see much more in advance that they're slaughtering their gods. Okay? But, but in future generations, you just take the Korban Pesach whenever you, whenever you take it, and then all you, you slaughter it on the 14th day. It's one of the things to keep, at, to keep, keep an eye out for is in terms of halakha, to know what is part of the original mitzvah and what became part of the mitzvah for future generations. It's not exactly the same. Okay? Uh, that's something we could study more on Sunday. We'll be using a lot of Rashi. Because Rashi brings a lot of the Midrashim and a lot of the Halakhic Midrashim. So we'll study this passage in more depth on Sunday with a lot of the Rashis. Baruch Adonai Amen. Amen.